Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, why bother saving for retirement when the world is ending? The climate change crisis, sky-high inflation, and political turmoil rattling the very foundation of democracy is enough to drive young people to live and spend for today. A recent survey found that almost three in four Gen Zers would rather have a higher quality of life than extra money in savings. Another found that 55% of young people have put their retirement savings on hold. What's worse, they're also racking up credit card debt faster than any other age group. Have they set themselves up for financial hardship later, or are they responding rationally to turbulent times? Later in the show, they are a field of red, white, and blue, the 37,000 flags planted on Boston Common each year to honor Massachusetts service persons who've given their lives. We had a moment or two or three where we stopped and really took stock of what Memorial Day is all about. The Memorial Day celebration is not only a tribute to the fallen, but also a way to help family members remember their loved ones. But first, joining me remotely, Brad Klontz, financial psychologist and managing principal of Your Mental Wealth Advisors. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. And also with me, Kimberly Zimmerman-Rand, principal at Dragonfly Financial Solutions, LLC, in Jamaica Plain, Boston. Hello, Kimberly. Hello, Callie. Nice to be here. Well, I'm happy to have both of you. So let's take a step back from what we're observing as this trend of spend now, save later, or maybe never, uh, Gen Zers. First of all, Brad, let's say that you, let's, I want to tell my listeners that you are on TikTok. You are right where the Gen Zers live and get information. You have well over 800,000 followers. And I want to give them a sense of the, the kind of video that is part of your content. And you are all about the savings. Here you go. Most millionaires are self-made, and most are employees or professionals, not business owners. So you don't need to own a business to become wealthy. But you do need to do this. And if you're watching this video right now, you can become a millionaire. If you invested just $5 a day at 10% annual return, which has been the average annual return of the U.S. stock market for over 100 years, you'd have over a million dollars in 42 years. Invest more to get there faster, future millionaires. All right. So... They're listening to it, but maybe they're not hearing you or the other way around, uh, uh, Brad, uh, the young people at least. I'd like you to start off by um, just over your years of experience and talking about uh, financial health and well-being. Has it been your experience that in general, young people um, are not inclined to save and there are generational commonalities around that. In other words, older people tend to, younger people don't. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say that we've studied over 100,000 individuals looking at their beliefs around money. And we have, we've seen a very clear pattern that the younger we are, the more likely we are to be present-focused versus future-focused, and the more likely we are to have, quite frankly, destructive beliefs around money. So that is a, I think that's really common through the generations. And the good news is that we tend to get wiser 
and have more accurate beliefs around money and finance as we get older. All right, Kimberly, same question to you. What have you observed in general about young people's spending saving habits? What I've seen in my practice is absolutely what Dr. Klontz um, says around the research. What I'm also seeing is the tremendous debt that young people enter adulthood into. Here in the Boston area where we have high housing costs and many people are entering the workforce with high student loans, there's more an orientation towards today and less of an orientation towards tomorrow. Well, now, so that we have that on the table, but to the two of you, have you seen at other times as much focus on um, demonstratively active spending and very public pronouncements about, I'm not doing that, I'm living for today, because the whole world is messed up, so why am I saving? I might not be here. Are you seeing that, Brad? And I want to put on the table that both of you are more than um, financial consultants. You're a financial psychologist, and Kimberly, you're a trainer and a coach. Um, so you have space as you work as professionals to really delve into the emotional underpinnings of money. So, Brad, um, have you seen this before, the kind of really flamboyant, I guess, in your face, I'm going to spend it, and I'm going to tell you about how I'm going to spend it? Yeah, I think our, our culture's um you know, exposure to social media, just 24 seven. I think we're seeing this being spoken about um, all over the place. I, I think it's always sort of been there. Uh, this isn't the first generation that thought the entire world was going to end in their lifetime. And in fact, I think that's been every generation has thought that. Um, but I think we're just seeing it being pronounced more and more frequently because of our uh, access to social media. Um, okay, uh, Kimberly, what do you say? I think social media is absolutely a contributing factor to this. I think the, the less and less security that generations have felt as we've progressed from boomers to Gen X to millennials to Zs, there's less confidence around what retirement is going to look like. So I can mm. absolutely appreciate a focus on today of the newly minted college graduates and workers of today around, let's just enjoy this. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, as opposed to their parents and grandparents who were given a message of, if you keep your nose down and work hard, your retirement will be there for you. I think the common messaging around work and what work looks like and what retirement looks like is very different for this generation than the ones that preceded it. So I want to give my listeners a sense of how flamboyant this um, expression of spending now and maybe I'll never save is. So we pulled a few clips from TikTok, and I'm just going to play a few because they're really quite interesting. So this first one, um, they all encourage people to, sprint, to spend frivolously. And this video is an influencer looking at pet glasses. That's right, glasses for your pet. So today we're looking at more things that TikTok made me buy. Really cool things that people find on the TikTok. I have bought a great many things that I've seen on TikTok. It just hits differently, I don't know. All right, TikTok made me buy it. Look at this little dog. So perfect for photos and videos. These are little pet glasses. 
Yuna would never let me put these on her. She'd be like, <gasps> stop. Oh, and you can like secure them around their head. Stop it. Stop. This dog was made to wear glasses. Okay. Now, I know a lot of people are listening to that going, for real? Seriously? Okay. <laughs> but I want to add something to that. There is a financially themed TikTok account called The Compound, uh, and this is titled Spend Extravagantly on the Things You Love. So many of us live under this idea that money is meant only to be restricted and saved. We've got to cut 5% on asparagus, 5% on laundry, 5% on eating out, 5% on coffee. I go, that sucks. Who wants to live like that? So instead, I want them to spend extravagantly on the things they love. Could be laundry, could be travel, whatever. All right. Now, I want to circle back to you, uh, Brad and Kimberly, and ask this question, because you've mentioned this isn't the first time that people have been concerned about, you know, what the status of their well-being will be and and the status of their future as they are seeing it. Um, you were talking about a time uh, when you were a kid and the nuclear bomb drills were very much present. Yeah, that's right. Um, for me, I mean, it's a little bit traumatized by that as a kid. You know, it's like we're we're hiding under our desks and you and you realize, well, we're practicing for the nuclear bomb strike that is going to wipe us all out. And so and, and prior to my generation, I, I can only imagine what it must have been like to be living through World War II or the Great Depression, um, World War One, back when the Spanish flu pandemic was happening. I mean, I feel like there's just been a, a, a long history of feeling like the world is going to end you know, during my life. And even some religions, it goes back for 2000 years that the world is going to end at any moment. And so I feel like this is something that faces every generation and has faced every generation. Um, and, and certainly with COVID and, and all of this, all the stuff we haven't experienced for 100 years, it's real palpable to young, young people around, will there be a future? Um, and so I think that fear is, is very, um, it, it's understandable. It's something that I think affects many generations. And I got to tell you, like the people I know, and I'm from Gen X, who were stuck on that belief that the world is going to end because of nuclear war. They're now entering their 50s and 60s. And if they held on to that belief that it, it makes no sense for me to save for the future because they will be no future, I think, I don't know, are they sadly disappointed the world hasn't ended? I mean, they're at least faced with some consequences. So I, I think it's real prudent to, it, it's okay to have that fear, but I think it's okay to do both too, ultimately. Like you can enjoy today and, and you should, but you should also be planning and saving for the future. All right, Kimberly, you weigh in. I mean, you raised a very good point about uh, this generation faced with, you know, these kind of the student loan situations. And for that matter, the lack of of the kind of 401, it wasn't even 401k, it was, you know, pension stability that older generations had, um, which should have given them more confidence about the future. Um, and for yourself personally, um, were you at a time thinking, I'm, you know, there's nothing going to be here for me um, in the way that Brad was feeling that way? And if so, what changed your mind? Well, I will say when I was a young professional coming up, I didn't have a good sense of what retirement was going to look like at all. Um, I knew I had parents who had friends who had pensions and were working in jobs that they may or may not have enjoyed, but they knew that there was security coming for them down the path. When I entered the workforce, I didn't see jobs with pensions. I didn't know what retirement was going to look like. And I can say that by the time I entered my 30s, 
I had a better sense that it was going to be all on me and that I was responsible for my own retirement planning. I feel slightly late to the game, but nonetheless, um, I feel like I'm in an okay situation right now and I feel fairly confident about retire what retirement is going to look like. But I'd like to turn back to that TikTok that you just played because I think there's an essence of truth in it when the host was talking about living according to your values. Um, I do believe that folks have a much more positive relationship with their finances if they can invest in things that bring them a lot of joy, that are very much aligned with their values, while having the awareness to be able to cut ruthlessly in those part of their financial lives that don't bring them value. And in a sense, be able to straddle values and things that don't matter to me, as well as straddling today versus tomorrow. So let me pick up on that. Again, I want to emphasize that, um, Kimberly, you are a counselor in some situations and a coach in other situations with both low income and, and you know, high income clients. And I know what both of you know and what you know intimately is that there is an emotional pinning to all of this. You know, whether we are frightened in the moment about what we may think is the future, that ties back to some other stuff that we learned about money in our lives from how we lived our lives or how we observed others living their lives. How much does that come into play right now in these young generations of folk who have seen what you've both described, the going away, the lack of financial uh, stability in in retirement accounts, in uh, the worry about all the other stuff is going on, but those those foundational pieces that used to be there that they saw their parents and grandparents with, they know don't exist anymore. So how much does, does that kind of clash and come together uh, from your vantage points, Kimberly? Yeah, and I think through the research, what we have seen is that when folks are in stress, they have more of a present day orientation around their money. And so they may look at their parents and grandparents and say, well, that was a different era. That was a different time. You had different opportunities that I don't have. And because of that, now I'm gonna focus on today. What we see and what I've seen in my practice is that when folks are stressed out, they're less able to think creatively. They're less able to take risks. They're less able to do that long-term planning that we need to do to ensure more financial stability. Brad, would you weigh in on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that Kimberly said that really um, is so powerful is that you know, for my grandparents, there was the promise of pensions and social security. And Kimberly talked about this. Well, those are all gone. And, um, you know, I, I had to learn that also that it, it's all on me. Like if I want financial freedom, it, I'm going to have to take those steps right now because companies aren't going to just automatically do that for you anymore. So that's number one is, is really having to embrace this idea that I need to take care of this. And then what Kimberly also mentioned around vision and values. So we did a study where we got people to increase their saving rates by 73% after just one hour, after just one hour of closing your eyes and picturing your ideal retirement. Wow. Um, and what we had people do is create vision boards. And so I, I'd encourage everyone to have a very clear vision 
of what you're saving for. Because really what you're asking yourself to do is to go against your biological programming. And so we're, we're biologically programmed to consume right now and to not really worry about the future. This is how we've spent most of our time on earth. Couldn't even save stuff in hunter-gatherer days, which is 99% of our time on earth. So our brains kind of work against us here. And so one way to, to shift that is to, is to create an incredibly powerful, passionate vision. Because like retirement is this amorphous thing that is, what is it? Who cares? You know, a savings account, uh, what is that? But when you can actually name it, like that's my financial freedom at 40 fund, or that's my European vacation fund, you can start to picture it. You can start to get emotionally attached to it. And usually these are goals based on our values. And it, it, it's one of the ways to override this impulse to just spend frivolous, frivolously without really thinking about where your money is going unconsciously is to really create an exciting vision. And before you know it, you'll achieve it. Now, let me talk about the reality of what's happening while people are not saving or are spending frivolously in the moment. The debt they have incurred is strangling. Um, and I'm sure both of you have seen that as well. So here we have younger Americans, 18 to 29, have a 76% higher delinquency rate than anyone else on credit card debt. Now, that stuff will follow you around and kill you. Um, as I have known in parts of my life all too well. I'd like both of you to speak to that. And how do you um, get the ones who are spending right now for now to see that the other half of this will really just erase whatever moment of freedom they may feel in, at this moment? It's always challenging. It's always challenging when I'm working with either individuals or groups who are facing um, this cliff, as we can call it, of, of consumer debt. Um, many times I'm meeting those folks when they are attempting to become first-time home buyers. And by that point, by the time we've got a goal, now we start to feel a little bit of those more heightened emotions. When we were just living for today, maybe it felt good in the moment and we could ignore the credit card bill when it came. When I see folks, when they are working towards first-time home ownership, now they're seeing what they've done. And the silver lining of this is that once there is that financial goal in place, that really has a powerful effect in being able to harness folks' uh, motivation and attention on the goal attainment. And much like Dr. Klontz also mentioned around automating, if um, the folks I'm working with are able to automate their credit card payments, we do see success. We absolutely see success in decreasing credit card balances, improving debt ratios, and getting closer and closer to fulfilling that dream of homeownership. In your experience, are the younger people, because those are the ones we're focusing on in this conversation, those Gen Zers, are they tougher to persuade to, you know, take those initial steps to get to the point where they can see some results? Um, because, again, they their group has the highest delinquency rate of anyone, any age group. I have optimism around our, our youngest adults. And I will say that the people that I see are a self-selecting group. And so those that I am seeing and I am working with do have the motivation and the drive 
to lower those credit card uh, balances and achieve those financial goals. So, Brad, are you surprised that the younger Americans from 18 to 29 have a 76 percent higher delinquency rate um, in terms of defaulting on their credit card debt? Uh, it's not surprising to me at all. Um, and I, I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm, I, I would almost guarantee that that is a pattern that has been around since forever, that the youngest generation is having the most um, delinquency defaults. And really, you know, part of it too is like, you know, your, your prefrontal cortex, the, the judgment planning part of your brain isn't really fully developed um, until your mid-20s, especially for men. And so, you know, you're not really thinking about the future. So it's, it's not that surprising. And as I mentioned before, too, that we see the most sort of self-destructive beliefs around money. Um, and this has been research that's been going back for 20 years. It's that younger, younger people who have it. And I certainly had it, by the way, when I was younger. Um, I did all sorts of things that I, I later regretted. And really, that, that, you know, that, that's the consequence of that, um, whether you want to call it, you know, part of it could be a lack of financial literacy. Although I, I think people actually, most people know they shouldn't be doing it. So I don't think it's really a literacy issue per se. I think it's more of a um, mindset. And many of us aren't taught about how to use credit or the dangers of credit. And so that's something that um, has happened to us culturally that has really set many, many people back. When I was a kid, we had home economics and there they at least taught you how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> so we had some of that training. Um, but, but essentially what's happened is Kimberly mentioned the entire culture has shifted. You know, you can't count on the government. You can't count on your company to take care of you. And at the same time, we pulled out um, home economics from schools. So we said, not only are are these safety nets not in place for you and it's all on your own, we're also not going to teach you how to do it. And that is something that um, I think as a culture, we just sort of have to own and try to rectify and bring that financial literacy, that education back into our schools as early as possible. And quite frankly, that's what I'm trying to do on TikTok. I know it's a younger audience and I'm trying to catch people when they're, when they're young and give them the mindset that can help them um, have the financial life they want. So, Brad, because we, as I demonstrated, some of the other messages on TikTok that are going the opposite of what you're saying, do you feel like you're climbing up a hill against um, these other uh, messages that are saying just the opposite of what you're saying and encouraging people, actually, to get to the point where they may be in debt? Yeah, actually, I mean, that's what inspired me to create content on TikTok. I'm, I'm actually... Um, I, I actually cringe and hope that the dean at my university never sees what I'm doing on there because I'm trying to make it fun. I'm trying to make it engaging. But that's really what got me on TikTok. I actually started to see videos. My nephews were showing me TikTok. and they, I started to see these videos pop up of, of encouraging day trading. This was a oh few years God. ago. Oh. Yeah. And I was I couldn't believe that was back. I, and then I was like, of course, it's back. You know, the market had, at that point had been at all time highs. And so I started to create content around the dangers and the statistics around day trading and how it hurts people. And um, I just hope that I caught some people before uh, before they they got really hurt around that. Um, is it Has it been your experience? Because Kimberly said she usually sees people when they're at the point of, oh, God, what is what have I done? What's been your experience? Are you able to see any little movement going in the opposite direction? Because my sense is maybe I'm wrong. There are a number of a financial literacy kind of books out there written by young people. So I actually thought they were way ahead of where I thought I was when I was clueless and, you know, running the target every two seconds. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I have a lot of Gen Z friends who are um, personal finance creators on TikTok. And many of these individuals are 
um, either in college or, you know, they're taking a class on finance and they're just pumping out great information. And so I just want to give, um, you know, some props out there to those Gen Zers. Who, and a lot of these young individuals that, you know, they, they have more of that future mindset. And, and quite often they were taught this by their parents or they got really curious about it when they were young. And so there, there really is a growing group of individuals who are trying to combat some of that um, messaging that's going out that is that ultimately is self-destructive for people financially. And um, you mentioned this too, and, and I, get, I get comments and DMs every day, and I've been on TikTok for a few years now, um, pre-pandemic, and um, people who are saying, hey, you know, I'm glad I saw your content because, you know, I, I got out of college and I just want you to know, the first thing I did is I maxed out my 401k. Ooh. And so stuff like that keeps me creating um, what is quite often cringe content on TikTok <laughs> to try to, to try to influence um, and, and pass on that, you know, a good money mindset to that younger, younger generation. So let me ask you both to respond more broadly. Um, we asked the question, um, the fact that we have a whole cohort, a significant cohort of folks who, of Americans who are driving the, the credit card uh, default debt and who are spending frivolously because they have not yet uh, learned or decided what they're going to do or are frightened or whatever their reasons are, what's the impact on the rest of us? Of uh, Is there a collective uh, financial situation that is impacted by one piece, one significant piece out of control? When people get into trouble, when they have bad credit, it just compounds because the entire system is set up to require people who have the least amount of resources to pay the most interest. And so this is something that I, that I also try to um, educate people on is that um, when you're down, that's when you get kicked the hardest. In other words, it costs to be out of line. <laughs> Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and again, they're, they're, you know, your interest rates are going to be higher because you're more of a default risk. So, I mean, it makes sense economically, but it can be a real challenge to dig yourself out. Um, but, but it can be done. And I had to do it. And it sounds like Kimberly has faced her own. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's something that many of us have to go through. And one of the things I would, I really do like to talk about a lot is, is the, the, the shame that we all feel around money and, and shame can really keep us stuck. Oh, yeah. And so what we have found in, in all of our research too, is that the beliefs we have about money are very predictable based on where we grew up, our, what our parents taught us, our socioeconomic status. And so it's it, the average American is a hot mess when it comes to money. It's the biggest source of stress in most Americans' lives. And so I, I always like to remind people, you're not alone. And many of us have have done ridiculously dumb things with our money, me included. And um, we we have to learn. Many of us have to learn the hard way. You can dig yourself out. You can um, you know you can get that right mindset going. You can get get on top of it. Now earlier, Kimberly said you were optimistic even in the face of meeting those clients who are you know, stuck or, or really in a bad place. Do you have a thought on, um, do you see this one cohort, as I said to Brad, impacting the rest of us or the across the board financial stability? I really don't. I, I much like Dr. Klontz has mentioned around, you know, emerging adults and prefrontal cortex development. I have two emerging adults in my own household. I do believe that this is just part of what it's like to adult in, in 2023. And I am optimistic for the future. 
I'd also like to share some optimism about what's going on here in Massachusetts. So as Dr. Klontz had mentioned about taking away home economics, there is a small but mighty um, group of folks who are really, really um, clanging the bells and calling out for more financial literacy in our high schools. And so for any public school, high school parents that are listening, I would love to encourage them to reach out to their school committees and ask for more financial literacy in their high schools. Beacon Hill is behind it, but we need more. Um, as well, there are children's savings accounts happening in Boston and in other communities around the state. And these are just more opportunities at the grassroots level for folks to start talking about personal finance at younger and younger ages. And maybe there's hope for the next generation yet to be named to have an even stronger foundation as they set off on their lives. Well, I think that's uh, very important. And I will say, um, I've seen uh, more and more books for little kids, like elementary school kids, about what is money, how do you spend it, where does it come from? It just doesn't automatically pop out of the machine. Here's what's going on, how one saves, um, that have really become uh, popular, actually. Um, and so some small, by the time the kids get to high school, they have at least some understanding of it. And maybe uh, that helps to rein in the tendency to just blow everything they have at once uh, now. Uh, perhaps, we don't know. <laughs> All right. So your closing thoughts on this subject of the Gen Zers, what's your prediction of where they may find themselves and if they will get a clue before they're into their 50s, as one of you mentioned. Brad? Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And, and the reason I'm hopeful is because I feel like every generation has gone through their terrible financial decision phase. And I, I do want to say too, though, that um, it, I think it's even more challenging for this generation because when I, when I was young, I, you couldn't get access to the kind of leverage and credit that young people can get access to now. And so the hole can be dug deeper than it was dug for previous generations. Like my, my grandpa couldn't get credit if he wanted it. I mean, there was no way he was getting in credit trouble. Um, so I think the, the, the ease, ease and availability is, has made it more challenging, but I truly believe that um, this is a—it's a phase. Let me put it that way: it's a phase that they're going through, and um, I have high hopes that they will um, navigate their way out of it. I agree with everything you said. I will also add that a lot of these younger generations are completely sucked into the labels. I don't recall labels having this much meaning, um, and I like stuff. I mean, I love stuff. So, but. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to young to live as a young person if you feel like um, back to that shame or feeling like you don't have it all or whatever because everybody else has the extra special celebrity bag or whatever. And so that having that ready access just drives people faster into debt. You're right. And social media, again, has made it so much more challenging because we're getting these images of, of people who seem to be having a much better experience than we are and wearing things that look nicer and leaning up against nice cars. And one of my big educational efforts is to, to de, uh, is to destroy these myths about wealthy people. And there's been a lot of studies done on this too. And, and the big irony here is that most ultra-wealthy people, most millionaires describe themselves as frugal. And so this is one of the, the points I hit on TikTok all the time. 
that's actually not how you become wealthy by, by spending your money on status objects, by trying to show people that you're important and that you've made it. It's actually the opposite of what people do to become financially free. Mm. Kimberly. I also will side on the side of optimism and I am optimistic around young people's digital literacy skills. I remember Hmm. my fifth grader coming home to me and showing me a chart of how, of something he had learned in school on how to distinguish whether or not a website was a credible source or not. And having to use that into write probably the first little paper that he had ever needed to write as opposed to some older members of my family, I think my kids have a great ability to discern information. And so I'm hoping that all the viewers of TikTok are finding Dr. Klontz's videos and looking at them and clicking through and finding his website and seeing how much expertise and education he has and knowing he's a credible source. Mm, While conversely, um, doing the opposite with some of the other fly-by-night TikTok hosts. Excellent point and a great place to leave the conversation. I want to thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Brad Klontz is a financial psychologist and managing principal of Your Mental Wealth Advisors. And Kimberly Zimmerman Rand is a principal at Dragonfly Financial Solutions, LLC, in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. Coming up, 37,369. That's the number of American flags planted on the Boston Common for Memorial Day. The flags honor the number of service members from Massachusetts who've lost their lives since the Revolutionary War. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Mm-hmm.